Hello and welcome to Morning Shot Uncut. And today, my friends, we are going to be shills. Well, I don't know. Shills for what, Byron? Because we've been called all sorts of things. Good question. The last two weeks. Good question. Shill, shill for what, ladies and gentlemen, is actually a very good question. Shills for ANC, DA, Action SA, PA. Here's the problem, ladies and gentlemen. You asked us to go out and see them all. You asked us, don't just focus on the DA. Go speak to all of their oppositions. See what everybody's got to say. The problem is, ladies and gentlemen, we did just that. The problem there from is that actually having done it, our views don't remain the same. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is what this podcast is all about. Yeah, very much so. So, so Byron and I have been in discussion with a few people in the ANC in the past like 10 days or so. And we, I'm not going to divulge anything in terms of who they are, but we are seeing a battle in the ANC in terms of going against sort of the Mbeki neoliberalism type thing and then going against what they're doing now, which is a developmental state thing. And the battle is about trying to adopt the Asian tiger model versus the developmental state model. Because fundamentally, the understanding that the developmental state model is, well, just fraught with Western-funded NGOs that are sort of sabotaging the attempts to rule South Africa in a meaningful way. It's not as clear-cut as that, of course, but that is what we are seeing from the outside. Yes, and so if you would read the, if you would follow the news, we'd hear the, the words that actually there is a battle in the ANC. It's one of the RET faction versus, of the Rama you know, versus the realm of pause a reformer faction. Those are the two factions. We have the guys that want to expropriate, every, expropriate everything. And they're the real commies in the crowd. And then we've got Ramaphosa, who's like the neoliberal capitalist. And so from that framing, you kind of sit there and go, okay, that makes sense. The problem is, as we've said numerous times on the show, that isn't actually the ANC as it really is. The ANC as it really is, is deeply ideological. So the question you have to ask is by whom and for what reason? So let's use the argument of the debate around expropriation without compensation. For those of you who don't know, the expropriation without compensation debate actually began by the miners. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, it was the miners. Anglo-America and so forth, that wanted to have the debate around EWC. Why? Well, because essentially the land rights on the usage of the land is highly problematic and is very technical. But essentially, in a nutshell, what the land issue really revolves around is the minerals below the land Whoever controls the land is able to export the minerals and do whatever they want at their own whim. So if they found a gold mine on a place, they stop mining, essentially they'd have the ability to say, well, I'm using the gold in South Africa or I'm exporting it for cheap to China and so forth. And so the question around what, how do we get those mining rights back so that South Africa gets a say, that's not to say that South Africa must mine the gold it's just to say that south africa can dictate what is used with the gold once it's out in other words does it get refined in the country do we export it at what rate do we export it how much of the profits go back into vat or the local economy and so forth now this debate being highly technical 
has obviously culminated in the EWC debate on whether or not we should expropriate property. But the more Ramon and I spoke to key individuals involved in the debate, the more we started to realize something. And that is the debate wasn't actually started by the ANC. It was actually started by the miners. Why? Because people within the governing party and the ANC were actually saying, hang on, you guys get to just export our resources abroad and we can't say a thing about it? Well, that doesn't sound right. Oof, that sounds pretty bad. How come no other country has this? You guys in your own country in Europe, you don't even do this. So how come we have to do it? Like even you get to say on where your oil and so forth goes. And so the miners, having started up the debate, then soured the debate and made the debate seem like it was about how the ANC wanted to come for your land. They wanted your farm. They wanted your house. They wanted everything in sundry. And all the propaganda that was pushed around the debate was designed to sour the mood of the country towards the question. In doing so, it meant that obviously the culmination of it was that EWC got defeated in parliament, which meant the miners continued to get to expropriate expropriate, send all of the minerals abroad without any other say the, go the government. So you may look at that and say, okay, was the entire EWC debate captured? Was it entirely just one big psyop? Well, ladies and gentlemen, we don't know. But we asked the question. We got answers we weren't really expecting. So what, what Byron has said is, is basically what our people in the ANC are saying. It's not our position yet, because we don't know. Like, we weren't part of those yeah. debates whatsoever. But there was, the feedback we got was, there was a very interesting angle to expropriation about compensation. It was never, according to them, never about farmland or your house in the suburbs. It was about the mineral rights under the land, which is governed. And, I mean, they have been nationalized through licensing anyway, for the most part. But there's nothing else attached to it, as far as I understand. But, Byron, I, I'm don't know if I can sort of believe the story that it was about minerals, because if we remember the debate in Parliament and throughout those three years of like EWC is about restoring, you know, the original sin of the, the what's it called, the Land Act from 1913 or whatever it was called back then, it seemed like it was hell-bent on revenge to me. The entire debate was. So... Our guys are arguing, our guys, the people that we know are arguing that, well, that debate was sparked by people that weren't the ANC, but I'm not too sure if I'm 100% convinced of that. And neither am I. But the point is that the points that were raised were ones that we hadn't actually heard before. And so when we asked the relevant people within the ANC, very high up individuals in the ANC, I might add, we said, how come it's was framed like this. Ackerman was framed in, in the debate of, I want your house. And they're like, well, that was a ma massive psyop, almost paid opposition to almost tank the debate. Because they, what they didn't really want is a debate to focus on the points that they really were interested in. They said, and they gave an example, when we export, let's use an example now, we don't export this, but let's say we were exporting oil. It's the example they gave to us, right? In Saudi Arabia, when they export oil, oil is sold abroad according to the international rate of oil. There's no discount. There's no subsidy attached to it. You look at the worldwide cost. What's the cost of oil? Usually pegged to the US dollar, and you sell it at that. If that's the rate, that's the rate you sell it. In South Africa, we should be doing that as an example with gold, but we don't. We sell it at a discount. 
And then the people we sell it to, we can sell it at whatever cost we want. And the people we sell it to, then sells it at the, the global standard. And the people that we spoke to have said, we're arguing, well, that's not right. We should be able to, as a government, state that gold gets sold at the internationally agreed price so that the markup, if you will, comes back to the people of the country. And he says, this happens in Saudi Arabia, it happens in other countries that are, are big exporters. South Africa seems to be a minnow state where we actually don't do it. Mm. He says, that's actually what the debate was about. And we still said, yeah, but that's not the way the, fra the debate was framed. It was framed around, you want my house in my suburb, and you're coming for it. And he said, well, no. Even the farmland, he said, I don't really give a damn about the topsoil. I give a damn about what's underneath it. Because if you were a farmer and if you dug a well deep enough and you found a mine, according to the current legislation, you would have a say on what happens to minerals. He's like, well, you shouldn't. This is a country's minerals. You just happen to find it under your farm. Okay, so then we'd have a chat with you about it. Now, Ramon, you rightly point out, and so do I, that there's round to be skeptical. But the point, ladies and gentlemen, remains. This was not as straightforward as we expected. It would have been so much easier if we just said, yeah, but we just want to nationalize everything because, you know, communism. But that's not what we found. And that's the purpose of this podcast. Yeah, very much so. So a lot of people might be thinking to themselves that they've seen our channel for the last two weeks. Like we we praise Cole and Gwede Mantashe. We uh, didn't praise Paul Machatile, but we said his sex life is none of our concern whatsoever. And at the heart of the debate in the ANC is this notion of baseload energy using fossil fuels and renewable energy. So Gwede says we need coal, because that's what we have in this country. That's what we're good at. That's what the coal fleet is for and nuclear on top of that. And then Ronald Porter and his acolytes are saying, no, we need renewables, uh, you know, sort of at all costs. Though he has, to his credit, Cyril has sort of diminished that message for the past few weeks for some reason or other. I'm not too sure why. But at the heart of the debate of energy sovereignty is this idea of sovereignty in the first place, right? If we take on debt from the West to solve our load-shedding issues, which have been caused by the ANC, of that I'm absolutely certain, we're still going to be enslaved to people who don't live here through debt. And we'll be importing Chinese-made solar panels to, to what, power a country that has a manufacturing hub? that has mines, that has industrial zones. It's just an impossibility. You can't run a country on that sort of stuff. You can run your house with pleasure, and we do. But you're not going to run a factory on this sort of stuff. So the, the fact that it's even contemplated or was contemplated is ridiculous and obviously not within the benefit of South Africa or South Africans, which led us to a greater question. Well, whose benefit was it then? And we're still trying to find out the answer in a real sense. That's correct. Now, to go down the rabbit hole even further, we then spoke to another ANC individual who actually started saying things that, to be honest, really shaped our view quite a bit. And that was, we all know that the NHR proposal was put forward by the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. We've got the white paper, we've seen it, we've circulated it, we put it online in a video. Bill and Melinda Gates were very keen to push this whole NHR stuff. And that did get us to the point of, well, when did it actually get proposed? Well, it got proposed at Polokwane, which is when Jacob Zuma came in. And lo and behold, 
Jacob Zuma came in because of the issues with Tobin Beck here on the AIDS virus. The first thing that Jacob Zuma did is he sat down with Bill and Melinda Gates and came up with the deal on how they were going to so-called fix the whole AIDS virus thing. Now, Bill Gates does frequent South Africa. He comes here quite a bit. Recently, we did a story around SOPRA. So SOPRA wants BE licenses, right? And they basically want to control the licensing of who creates manufacturing around uh, kind of medical type equipment. So basically, you'd be licensed to provide medical equipment and off you go. And so, again, when we actually started to look into this, we actually had to say, well, you know, the reality of the situation was SOPRA is actually funded by Bill and Melinda Gates. They have got a 18 months committal of over 900,000 US dollars towards that entity. I didn't the know. Granted, that. they've been. They just found yeah. it out. Oh, okay. See, Byron, don't share anything with me. You never share anything with me on this bloody podcast. I have to be a surprise to the audience. So, Bill Gates has been funding the South African regulatory body that regulates the manufacturing and sale of medication and vaccines. Yep. And it's on their website. I've just sent it to you. So it's actually on their website. That's fine. (laughs) Can we allow this? I mean, gentlemen, I'm sure you can see the the element of the podcast is starting to come through now. But sorry, Byron, go ahead. So apparently he's been funding our regulator. So lo and behold, that regulator is going to basically say, as Ramon said in the video that we did on this topic, well, actually, the regulator is going to be really important when it comes through to procurement underneath the NHR scheme. In other words, you know, the regulator is captured by the very people who promoted the NHR scheme. It's almost like Juju was right and the country is controlled by white monopoly capital. But what he's not saying is the quite loud part out loud He's not actually saying, well, actually, this country is controlled by Bill and Melinda Gates. If he said that, we'd all be like, oh, yeah, 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 of course. So, you know, when you say it like that, it sounds like a giant conspiracy theory, except a conspiracy theory is like right in plain sight. When you talk to the ANC, they are actually deeply frustrated by this. They are deeply frustrated because this is a foreign entity. It's an American. It's basically shaping government policy in South Africa. Yeah, and and what is really uh, annoying is that SAPRA is part of the Department of Health, the National Department of Health. It gets funding from our taxes. It does a regulatory job for the South African government. But now we also, I just found out, as you sent me the link, it it receives $900,000 from the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation to do what I'm not too sure. What is the point of our taxes to fund regulation if private institutions located overseas can also fund those very same regulatory bodies. None of this really makes sense. And then if you look at it from a bird's eye view, you've got the white paper on the NHI, which was funded by the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. You've got Bill and Melinda Gates uh, solving the HIV crisis. Uh, that is a whole nother rabbit hole we're not going to get into. And now they're funding an important part of the regulator of medicines in South Africa, you might be thinking to yourself, how do you connect all those dots together? Is our health department in South Africa and our policy around health being dictated to by the ANC from someone who doesn't live here? And if that is the case, shame on the ANC. I mean, come on, where's our sovereignty in all this? 
like the ANC shares the blame here. We're not saying they're blameless. But if you listen to Ramaphosa, ladies and gentlemen, he will tell you that actually, no, this has not been dictated by Bill and Melinda Gates. Because what it's actually been dictated to is by the WHO's Sustainable Development Goals, part of their 2030 agenda, which is on their website. So he says, look, all we're doing is what the WHO tells us to do, guys. The WHO tells us that this is the way the world is moving. The world is moving towards nationalized health. So, you know, we're just following global standards. Mon, I just sent you the figure. How much does Bill and Melinda Gates pay towards the WHO, my friend? Oh, you're sending it to me now. Let me check. Sorry, I have to scroll. It's a big number. They donated 88% of the total amount donated by philanthropic foundations to the WHO. So that actually doesn't give you a number, but it does say that Bill and Melinda Gates, out of all the philanthropic donations, contribute 88% of those donations in Actual dollar terms? I don't know how much that is. So what so what does that actually work out as, ladies and gentlemen? What works out as the second largest donor to the WHO, according to the WHO's own website? They are the second largest donor behind China. China. So all I can say is, well, looks to me like Bill and Melinda Gates pretty much have a mon- monopolistic control over the whole thing. They're dictating to the WHO. They put down the NHR framework in South Africa, and now they're controlling the, megul- the medical regulator. So, yeah, we are actually controlled by white monopoly capital in the form of Bill and Melinda Gates. Now, I didn't know that, Ramon, and neither did you. And actually, it took a RET guy who we interviewed as part of the ANC actually to tell me that. So, as you've rightly said during that interview we did with him, like the ANC's actual communication department is awful because if they actually told this to the Republic, most people would be outraged. So what it appears to me is that the ANC really has sold us sold us out to the highest bidder as a nation, mm-hmm. right? Who knows how much money, you know, the ANC entrepreneurs have made on, on health in this country. And, and health is just maybe like even just 2% of what Bill Gates spends in South Africa. Who knows what else there is? We're just starting to understand what is actually going on. But at least to a greater point, which which I made on a on an interview this week with, with uh, Jeremy Nell, Germ Warfare, you should go listen to it if you want to. And the greater point is that if our health system is completely captured by Bill Gates, what other systems are captured as well? Because let us forget, Nelson Mandela was an avowed communist for, well, 60 years. He gets out of prison, he goes to Davos within six months, and he says, oh, now we're neoliberal, we're going to privatize and focus on you know capitalism and private property rights and international trade. Byron, you hold strong beliefs, I hold strong beliefs. Do you change your mind after 60 years and become a neoliberal overnight? No, I have two interviews with ANC people and I vote ANC. No, I'm not that weak, world Ramon. It's, you know, m- most of us, we've talked about this. Despite speaking to various individuals, our, our views are the same. Our people are our people. We do what we do. You know, but at the end of the day, we, we, we are seeing South Africa in a very different light. A good example of this is actually, let's look at the BE question. So it's like we looked at it from that perspective. So, ladies and gentlemen, this was actually very interesting. Interesting. So BE was actually originally proposed in South Africa by uh, the mining companies. 
So what happened at the end of apartheid was that we had all these guys coming back from exiles around the country, but they were kind of like they were given positions of authority and positions of power, but they didn't really have any kind of wealth. So these mining companies were like, tell you what, what we'll do is we'll put you into our mining companies. But, you know, we can't actually just do it because we'll upset our shareholders and corporate governance. And blah, blah, blah. So what we'll do is we'll frame this framework, you know, call it black economic empowerment. And you're, you're basically going to force us to give you some like share of our company. We're going to do it willingly because we want to. But then by doing that, the minute they gave out these shares, all of these countries that were in the ANC, yes, okay, they got enriched and they got famous and all sorts of other things. But what it actually meant is that they then became beholden on the very people that basically enriched them. Because now you don't lose your shares, right? Because now you're going to lose your capital and you're not going to have economic growth and so forth and so forth and so forth. People are going to know what you did, not going to look so good. So that actually creates this whole BE framework to capture the Black ANC member. That's not what we hear, right? We hear the reverse. They created BE because they wanted to capture private industry. No, 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 no. Private industry captured them through their sponsoring of the BE legislation. The only problem is, as we've also recently said in podcasts, you do not create law for today. You create law for tomorrow. We are now much further down the track. And what's happened is that people have realized that this framework that they were used in order to capture the state, if you will, cannot be used by the state to capture them. And that's why we're now seeing some of this draconian bullcrap, which we obviously seeing and we've covered on our podcast. Yeah, very much so. So what you're finding is this very parasitic symbiosis between the corporate sector of South Africa and the governing party. It's not unusual in a democracy for this to happen. This happens all over the world. No doubt America is by far the greatest example of this. But what you, you find is that the ANC is not really independent in terms of thoughts and policies. They're not really in charge. But neither are the corporations, because now the corporations are like, remember, Save SA when Zuma was president in 2015, Save South Africa, Adrian Gore was the chairman and all the big CEOs came out and said they need to save South Africa. And then Zuma got out and then Save South Africa miraculously just disappeared off the face of the earth as an organization. Also, when Zuma uh, changed the finance minister to Des Van Royen, that's probably the best finance minister we ever had. Well, we don't know that. He changed the within 24 hours due to corporations saying that they will drop their support of the ANC. So you can see a few details and a few examples of how much power corporate SA has. They sort of seem to be the ones implementing a lot of the stuff anyway. Because if you go to corporate South Africa and you say, how many colors are working for you in the Northern Cape? It, it probably aligns completely with whatever targets the Minister of Labor says. But if you go to Joe Schmo, who runs a restaurant with 50 waiters, he doesn't know how many colors that work for him. Like it's not his deal, but now it is his deal under this act. So this weird parasitic partnership between corporates and politics in this country, which is also another grave misdirection and is something that undermines the sovereignty of South African people. And, none, and people should be aware of that. So ladies and gentlemen, we asked a question that was really pertinent to us. And we got a response that actually matches what we've said previously on our podcast. And that is, what do you really think of gun rights? Because we've seen that you're trying to basically take away our gun rights. He said, 
<laughs> you can't actually take away gun rights in this country. Gun rights are very sacred, but there is a globalist agenda to disarm populations. And there is. It's called the Small Arms Charter, and it's put forward by the UN. Which I'm pretty sure if we look deep and hard enough, we'd probably find the NGOs funding it. Now, that agenda is then being pushed in South Africa by Gun Free South Africa and the ISS, the Institute of Security Studies, both of which are controlled by a wachiki named Adele. So, actually, it's not wrong. They are being pushed forward by white libtards in the country. But the question that you would have to then look at yourself is that debate around disarming us isn't actually coming from the ANC. It's coming from these foreign-funded NGOs, which, again, have links to George Soros and the Wraith Foundation. So, again, we see, well, now we see Gates being in control of our NHR, our health service, now we're seeing Soros being in control of our open border type stuff and our gun rights. So again, we're not looking at organizations that have the best interests of South Africa at heart. We are being exposed to, yet again, more white monopoly capital in the country, basically taking control over domestic issues. Yeah, yeah. And as we say now, we, we've been in several videos on, on guns on this channel, and we speak often about the fact that Gun Free SA was started just as soon as the blacks took power in 1994, which is a bit odd. So before when the whites had power, there was no need for gun-free South Africa. Now that the blacks took power, now there's a need for gun-free South Africa, which leads me to think to a large degree. I think this opportunity arose for the Western world to have overt influence in South Africa it happened in 1994. Once the society got opened up and we had a liberal constitution and all that sort of shit. The Western world and Western financiers just saw like, yes, this is the plan. This is the opportunity to get in there and basically control the country through policy brought by NGOs. And if we don't get our way, we go to court or block and block policy by the ANC. Like, for example, the Minister of Home Affairs wants to cancel permits for Zimbabweans. Foreign fund NGOs go to court and you can't do that. Uh, the Minister of Home Affairs doesn't want to allow Afghanistani refugees into this country. Western fund NGOs go to court. The minister can't do that either. Zuma wants a nuclear deal. Western fund NGOs go to court, block that as well. So really, who the hell is running this country? Because it's certainly not the ANC in any meaningful way. They control the treasury and they control, like, you know, several things, sure. But in terms of sort of diehard policy, they don't seem to be in control in the slightest. And Byron, I'm going to be honest with you, I don't know if that's a bad thing or a good thing. Because if the ANC of no, 1989 had their way, they would have nationalized the shit out of this and we'd be in Venezuela by today. We probably also, would. Yeah, definitely. But, but also, this neoliberal stuff is not working here either. No. So we need like a new way, a third way. So, I mean, we've, we've discussed this, and I think this is really kind of where our videos are kind of going, because our videos really are going towards now just exposing the rot that we're, we're finding. And the problem is that that rot isn't limited to one political party. You can't look at the paradigm. God, look, DA's the savior. The ANC is the villain. Like, they want you to think like that, because then it avoids the actual real issue. You know, the same as they want us to believe that all blacks and whites can't get along. ANC would never talk to people like you and me, Ramon. We're whiteies. 
that's not what we're farming, but that's what the media wants to push because unfortunately the media class is captured. They are the mouthpieces for the foreign NGOs. They are the mouthpieces for the propaganda to blind the masses. We saw this in COVID and we're seeing it now. So it's it's very tough to look at all this and still stay in the same paradigm which we've been running on for some time. And we can't continue in the way that we were before and just say, ANC bad, DR good, yay! It's not that straightforward. And that actually is where the problem, ladies and gentlemen, is coming in. So what we would say to you, don't call us an ANC show, don't call us a DA show. We're like you. We just want to know what's going on. We just want to know what the truth is. Yeah, very much so. And who knows where this path might lead us. And, you know, to be honest, it's, it's, I blame all of this on Gator McKenzie for the most part. Yeah, we, me too. We, we, we went to go see him at Bifford West and we, we spent the whole day with him and we had uh, lunch with him and we spoke with him and he like sort of opened up a third way in our minds about how South Africa actually works. He just raised questions. We're sitting on, we were in Bifford West, we're sitting on the fifth or sixth or tenth largest gas whatever reserves in the world why are they still here why are we the 10th gold producing country as opposed to the first yeah he just posed all these questions and we didn't have any answers to them and he basically said well you know just like find out like that's that's what the real story about south africa is is who is actually running the show and you'll find out very soon it's not south africa whatsoever so you know maybe gazing will onto something there not that makes us PA shills or that we're going to vote for the PA tomorrow, but I think there is a new conversation that is happening that is extremely non-racial because we've got a colored Gaten, us, Arab and Anglo, and uh, a few black fellas in the ANC who all agree on what the issues are and all agree that the solution is a sort of South African first sovereign non-racial type of platform that is right-wing conservative and that can lead South Africa out of this quagmire we found ourselves in and actually become a sovereign country for the benefit of the people. So I think that could be the third way, Byron. I don't know what it's going to look like in time to come. I don't know how it's going to formulate itself in a meaningful way. But if if different people from different races agree on the problem and agree on the solution, that to me is quite positive. That's positive. Just to be clear on what we're saying, <laughs> we're not saying we're going to form a political party. We're right. simply saying we're trying to form a new way of looking at South Africa. We're just looking at a new framework to understand what we see. Can't look at it and simply, as I said, DA bad, ANC good, ANC bad, DA good. You can't, it's, it's too simplistic. There's a lot of competing interests in this country and one of the things that you realize very quickly, South Africa is not, as is often portrayed a battleground of ideology it's not we have found that in all of our investigations ideology matters far less than you think, tell you what South Africa is however it's an auction it's an auction open to the highest bidder what you really need to know is one, who's bidding and two, who's winning? Once you know those two things, you can look at South Africa very differently. 
yeah and, and what 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 is the auction on well it's on i repeat myself the sovereignty of south africa what is energy going to look like in South Africa? What is health policy going to look like in South Africa? What are gun rights going to look like in South Africa? What is media freedom going to look like in South Africa? All those questions are not based on principles and law. All those questions are based on who's got the biggest check and who can yeah. buy their way to make sure that their way is the one that goes the furthest. And that's what it is. And unfortunately, Byron and I have no money, so we're not part of that auction whatsoever. But that doesn't mean you should be part of the auction either. I think we need to find a way in a general nationalist sovereign sense to tell all of these empires to footsack, make South Africa completely independent and work for itself, its people and its best interests through democratic or, or other means at this rate. Um, I don't think democracy is the conduit for that, if I'm honest with you, but who knows? Fundamentally, I think democracy has enabled this. I think democracy has enabled this because it's, it's said, it said majority rules. The problem with is, Ramon, is the majority rules. Remember that the majority can be bought. So the principle of what it is that we want matters sometimes very little in the face of how much does it cost. So we can get all the votes we want. I mean, let's face it, if we wanted the entire hundred country to vote DA, it'd be very easy, mate. I'm sure you understand this. Right? We raise one million rand each over all of the citizens of the state. We pay every citizen in the state to vote DA. Ta-da! DA wins by landmark victory. So then you actually understand. So that goes an auction. It's just down to price. What exactly are we paying with? Now the problem therein is that you may look at this and go, oh, you two are just so down, far down the hole of conspiracy theories. You don't know what you're talking about. And we know the comments. We'll see them in the chats. And we read every comment that goes on there. Every single one. We know all of them. We don't always respond. I mean, look, we're actually busy. We have, you know, lives of our own. We do read them. And we know all the allegations that will get thrown out. But here's the problem, Ramon. When you look at South Africa and you get called a conspiracy theorist, you go, oh, you guys are just making this stuff up. You guys don't know what you're on about. The reality is none of this is hidden. It's all out in the open. Everything you see is right there. Understanding it is the hard part. Hmm. But the question you would inevitably lead yourself to ask is why? Why would they do this? And the answer to this is actually a lot easier to understand than you would think. Number one, South Africa is a really cheap auction, man. Like you take the exchange rate, you take it abroad. You know, we said this before. Like imagine Daily Wire funded us morning shots in South Africa. Mm. Uh, uh, One million US dollars, man. It's peanuts to an American audience. It's 20 million rand, man. That's, That's like a serious amount of money in South Africa. We could do a serious amount with that. In the US, a million would get you, wouldn't even get your house, man. It's like, oh, there's, there's nothing. But it's, so when you understand that dynamic, you understand South Africa is incredibly cheap. So the second thing is South Africa's democracy is inevitably very new, being only 30 years old, which also means that checks and balances are very new, only being 30 years old. So actually, the ability to capture South Africa and shape it almost like a testing ground for ideologies. It's actually very easy. Don't cost a lot of money. 
the institutions are highly appliable. So why wouldn't you use South Africa? But what is the consequence of that? Well, we have enough resources here to be a world number one. We actually genuinely do. We've spoken to numerous individuals, seventh mm -hmm. largest amounts of gas in the world. We have oil off the coast of South Africa, mines. We have diamonds, minerals, copper, gold. Platinum. The world needs to repeg itself to the gold standard. <laughs> hey, we've got a shit ton of gold in Josie. Why don't we mine it and then we'll like we'll have a world leading currency stronger than the pound because of all the gold we pull out of the ground. Oh well, we're not allowed to because some foreign NGO said it will be bad for the environment. Why can't we frack the crap out of the Karoo? Which you rightly said, and somebody got very upset that you said it. They said, Oh, well, how can you say the Karoo is just desert and there's nothing there? Maybe you ever driven through the fucking Karoo. It's like miles and miles and miles of desert. There's a there's fuck all there. Vermont drops. You frack the Karoo out of there, what are you going to do? Give one goat cancer? Ooh, okay. The only thing that lives in the Karoo is like one goat. You know, and, like I love the, and I love the Karoo. <laughs> Like I don't, I love the Karoo, but I mean, if we can, if we can get gas out of the Karoo to end load shedding once and for all, and for those, for that gas to be used to increase GDP by 5% a year, I'm like, fuck yes, worthy sacrifice. And ladies and gentlemen, you may say, well, this is, none of this will work because South Africans are just so stupid. The education system is so, it's so fraught with problems. Come on. Where did our education system come from, my friend? From the Washington Accord, i.e. America, outcomes-based education was uh, over there, adopted by quite a few countries around the world who have subsequently, uh, well, basically dropped it because it's, because the outcomes were so bad. The, the irony of outcomes-based education being dropped because the outcomes were bad. Yes, I know. But uh, yeah, we still have that. And what are we? Uh, the worst country in the world for literacy and mathematics amongst grade fours. Also, Another policy not created by the ANC makes you think. So you may look and go, was this all a ploy by American NGOs and foreign interests to just make South Africans stupid? I don't know. But we are asking the question. And sometimes the answers that we get given aren't really what you'd expect. And sometimes the conclusion that you are left with is not the conclusion that you expect to find. Certainly not the conclusion that the media tells us to find. And that is actually the one thing that we are finding the most. Yeah, basically we can't trust anyone now. So that's that's why we are becoming so... Well, we are have always been very independent, but it will become even more independent. Uh, to tell the truth, because the truth is very, very important. Uh, especially here in South Africa. And, you know, knowing this does not at all mean that the ANC are blameless, that the politicians are blameless, that evil exists, that crime exists, and all that sort of stuff. We'll still report on all that stuff. But it's going to be under the purview of the fact that these people don't actually run the country. Other people do, which we don't vote for. So that's essentially what Morning Shot is going to be. And Yeah, and I think it's important to recognize that where the DA gets it right, we'll praise get it wrong, we'll call him a boss. When the ANC gets it right, we're going to praise him. Or to get it wrong, well, you know the script. Right? Nelson's always on hand. He's right there. He's just waiting for his chance to shine. But all we can say is, when we say they did something right, we're not captured. We're not bought. We just happen to notice that occasionally they get it right. 
majority they get it wrong. I think we all accept that. And we should not be afraid of calling them out on what they get wrong and praising them on what they get right. You cannot train a dog if all you do is hit it. Yeah, absolutely. And for us, I mean, if the ANC is really keen on our ideas, it's like a, a drop race I'd, for anything. Race doesn't come into the equation anyway. Number two, meritocracy. If the whites have to build or rebuild ESCOM, do it. There's no skin off our back. There's no skin off your back. Because once we have an industrialized society, the benefits will be to the black majority that you so purportedly seek to help. So once you remove race from the equation, which was brought in by mining companies and Americans, once you get rid of that, South Africa thrives so quickly and so easily. If you hang on to race at all costs with BEE and procurement and all that bullshit, South Africa will still be up for financial speculators till Jesus comes back. So race is the one thing ANC needs to drop. For goodness sake, get your own freaking media company. Not ours. This is our media company. But get your own. Because you can't continue with the bullshit that's going on with News24 and times like this. News propaganda getting pushed out there. This foreign-funded news is not good. Because all it means is inevitably that the news that gets circulated around the country is highly tainted. Come on, think of all the immigration debates around how they're coming from your home. How many people left because they didn't want their homes expropriated? But this was pushed forward by the media industrial complex. Because that's what I'm going to call it. The media industrial complex. And it wasn't really what the framing of the debate was really around. But how many families did that break up? Livelihoods did that destroy? Simple things like this is, is having a detrimental effect on countless generations of future South Africans. Families that get split apart. Old age people that get to have to live here apart from their their sons, their daughters, their grandchildren, or because of the framing of the of, of the entire debate. For goodness sake, ANC, get your own freaking media company and allow the people that we've talked to to provide your messaging. Because the people that are currently providing your messaging are just retarded. They are quite retarded. And the same debate's happening around the NHI. Once it gets any traction whatsoever, even if there's a sniff of it getting traction, a lot of people will depart this country as well. And all this is based on racist nonsense. Maybe the NT can be better than that. Maybe they can't. Who knows? But sooner or later, if we want South Africa to be sovereign, we drop the race question completely and utterly. And that's that's the, the, the red line that we're standing on. I'd agree. I don't want my kids to feel like they don't have a place in this country. You need to embrace all South Africans. We're willing. We're there to learn. We're there to listen. Don't alienate us from the conversation. And with that being said, ladies and gentlemen, Ramon and I are also trying to get an interview with the man himself, Julius Malima, who apparently hates our kind. He hates our people. Let's hear what he's got to say. Because again, we're open-minded. We're independent. We'll listen to the debate. We'll have the arguments and we'll take the outcomes. Does that mean that we're voting the EFF? No. But we want to allow other voices to shine. And we think that's a good thing. Very much so. We might actually learn something as much as we have learned during the course of the last, let's say, three weeks. But anyway, thank you for listening, everyone. Uh, Hopefully this clarifies 
what is going on on the Morning Shark channel and hopefully it clarifies the path forward for us and for you and, you know, essentially for the country. Let's build a movement on South African sovereignty. And I think the repercussions can be really, really good for everyone. Have a good one. Cheers.